Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It is another beautiful day here in Mahali Chandigarh. We're so glad to have you with us and wherever you are listening from. Today we're going to look at the book of John chapter 18 and we are going to just discuss a little bit leading up to that about what is going on here or what has been happening, what has been progressing throughout what we've been reading. And then we're going to go ahead and read John chapter 8 and discuss it in a Accordingly, you want a detailed account of everything that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where we're at in this uh, portion of the Bible. You can look in the other books of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. However, let's just get a brief recap of what's gone on so far in the life of Jesus and where we're headed to from here. So, Jesus was born in a manger because his earthly mother and father were. Though they were of royal bloodline, royal lineage, uh, King David, they were still common folks, and there was no room for them in anybody's home and no room for them in an inn, and so Jesus was born in a manger or a feeding trough. He was raised in the, har- the home of a carpenter, and so therefore, most likely, he at one point was an apprentice and practiced carpentry. He was raised in a Jewish home, which, mean, which is the home of God's chosen people. The Jewish people were God's chosen people. And so he adhered to the disciplines and the rites of Judaism. And at the age of 30, he began his ministry, gathered some disciples, taught them about God and God's relationship with man. Then there were the things that Jesus did. He performed miracles. For example, not Conclusive list, but just for example, he turned water into wine, caused a lame man to walk, caused a blind man to see, and raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for four days. He called religious leaders out for their hypocrisy as well as religious people. He proved his authority over Mother Nature by, and not limited to, calming a storm and waves multiplying food beyond what was provided, feeding 5,000 and 4,000 respectively. He fasted himself for 40 days, denying his own body food and water. He taught with authority over Platonists, Aristotelists, religious leaders, and government authorities. He protected prostitutes, liars, thieves, widows, and orphans. He showed his authority over the demonic and evil by casting demons out of a young boy and out of a man who was basically supposed to be chained up, but he had broken the chain so many times, Jesus cast the demon out of that man. Jesus called anybody who believed in him a friend and a brother, or even greater, he said that anybody who believes in Jesus on God would be a son of God. Jesus prayed over those with him, for the Passover. Now he is going into the garden for prayer where he and his disciples regularly met. And so we're going to read about that in John chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 11, 15 through 18, and 25 and 27. But before we do that, I also want to mention a few things that Jesus did not do. Jesus did not baptize people into his way. Jesus went to John the Baptist and was baptized by John the Baptist, but Jesus didn't go and baptize his disciples. He did not condemn those who hated him. He did not exalt himself over everybody else saying, you must bow before me. He was not given into temptation. He did not sin and he was not 
living an ungodly lifestyle, no matter how much Dan Brown wants you to believe that he did in his book, The Da Vinci Code, that is a fictional piece of work. He has not demanded special treatment. He does not expect people to give him his demands or his rights. He does not subjugate people underneath him, and he has not browbeaten people who mean him harm. And so as we read the passage of scripture we have before us, we're going to see a betrayal, denials, and cowards. Xavier, would you read John chapter 18, 1 through 11? When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook in Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Blair, if you'll read 15 through uh, 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire, because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And 25 through 27, Blair. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So here we have Judas betraying Jesus, Peter denying he knows Jesus, and the rest of the guys, for the most part, turn into cowards. So, a yes or no question. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Sure. Yes. Yes or no. Yes. Is or was that person a close friend? Uh, no. Were they before they betrayed you? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay. Uh, which hurts more? Does it hurt more if the friend, if it's a close friend, or if it's just somebody that you don't really know and they like, like cut your, you know, cut your job out from under you or talk bad about you? You don't really know them, but they're talking bad about you, betraying you. Which which, which one hurts more? The closest the friend. The the friend, absolutely. 
Uh, again, yes or no. Has anyone ever denied being your friend? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what would the what is the normal reason that they say, I I don't know. I don't know Xavier. Like, why would you think I know him? Like, what's the normal reason that somebody says something like that, denies knowing you? Peer pressure, maybe? Okay, peer pressure. The fact that they seem weak for knowing someone, that person. Uh-huh, yeah. The, the, there's no advantage to yeah. knowing the person. Okay, yeah. Anything else? Uh, I was thinking of their reputation might be hurt by knowing you. Yeah. Like, you've created this certain type of reputation, and if they know you by that, then if you are associated with this other person, then, oh my, if they're associated with knowing me, oh my goodness, I can't believe you know Matt. Oh, so therefore they would deny knowing me. So again, in denying that they know you, which is more hurtful, which is more painful, a person that knows you or somebody that's just an acquaintance, just an outsider that you occasionally know, which one hurts more to you uh, when they deny knowing you? person who knows you more yeah. personally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, has a friend ever abandoned you in a time of need? Sure. Yeah. Okay. However, let's let's take that same type of question and let's let's introspectively look at it. Have I ever abandoned my friends when I had a major need that I needed them for, but I refused their help? Yes. Maybe. I might have, but I don't know if I ever did because my friends never tell me. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm saying, have you ever needed your friends, but you didn't ask them for help, even though you needed it? Sure. Yeah, because sometimes friends drop subliminal messages like, have you ever gone through this before? And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I heard a song about this yesterday or did that. And instead of like talking about the issue at hand, mm -hmm. it's just like a subliminal message just kind of dropped in. So then in the end, you don't know, you, you know, like if you reflect back on your conversation, it's kind of like, I wonder if they're dealing with that or I wonder if that's really bothering them right now. Have you ever abandoned your friends in a time of your need going solo? And then as a result of isolating yourself from everybody else, you start to go down a depressive road where, oh, nobody likes me, nobody loves me. Yet you're the one that caused the division and separated yourself from everybody else. Has that ever happened? I mean, I, I know I have. I'm sure I have. Sure. So betrayal denial it's part of growing up right mm -hmm. i just watched a barbie episode about this great okay so what 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 happened barbie invited her sister skipper to come sit with them and eat and then they were talking about what music they like and she started playing a song because it was all techno music and barbie's like oh i'm not really into that music and so they start hanging out together and Barbie keeps pushing her way, uh, away from them and saying like, oh yeah, they don't want to be friends with me. And Skipper and all of her friends have been invited her plenty of times to come hang out with them, but she doesn't want to because mm -hmm. she feels like she's left out. Right. I, I mean, this is a very real scenario that happens fictionally in the story of Barbie in the Dream House on Netflix. However, it's a very true thing that happens, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to betrayal and denial and cowardice, there's kind of a similarity there between all three things. So why I say that is because people so often like to say if they feel betrayed by somebody else that they're like a Judas. 
But you could just as easily say, you're like a Peter, or you're like a John, or you're like a James, because they were all guilty in this moment that we just read about in John chapter 18. They were all guilty of betrayal or denial or cowardice in a way that they could have all ended up being exactly like Judas. Mm -hmm. However, there was something that they overcame, the other 11 disciples and anybody else that was in the upper room the night of the Passover and went to the garden with Jesus uh, to Gethsemane and was there. All of those people overcame something, an obstacle, a mental block, an emotional issue, as we've discussed so far a little bit. And they said, you know what? I am not going to be unfaithful, disloyal, unaffectionate, or selfish. Instead, Jesus is my savior. And yes, it helped a lot that after he died on the cross, three days later, he rose from the dead. And yes, they were hiding out all of that time, as we'll discuss in the weeks ahead. But what is it in you, reflectively, what is it in you that allows you to justify your selfishness, your unaffectionateness towards other people, your disloyalty, and your unfaithfulness. With that being the inflective the question to ask, I want to ask you, what is the mark or the description of a true friend? What makes a really great friend? Not just a really great friend, but your best friend, the person that you are the most tight with. And for me, that's my wife. I mean, she is my best friend. And so why, how, what are the descriptors that are there? And yes, I understand she's the opposite sex. Yes, I understand she is my wife, but she's still my best friend. And so what are some of those descriptions that are there? I'm going to go ahead and give them. And then anything that I miss, you can add, please. She forgives. She forgives me when I screw up. She's truthful. She tries her best to never tell a lie, even to the point where she gets upset at people who do tell lies. So she's true. She's a true friend. Uh, she's loyal. We have been married for almost 22 years, and we've both been loyal to each other. She considers others' needs. Sometimes, most of the time, I should say, she considers other people's needs before she considers her own needs. In fact, it's one of the biggest things that I think I get in disagreements with her about is quit buying stuff for everybody else. You need a new pair of shoes. You need a new outfit. Stop getting for all our kids or for other people within our community. I mean, I understand they need stuff, but so do you. So she considers others above herself. Uh, she helps. She helps others. She's present. Like she's there. She's not absent in those moments when uh, you need somebody. She's been, uh, when I need somebody, she's present. She listens. And most often, she understands. And if she doesn't understand, we talk it out to the point where she is like, oh, oh, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, are there any other characteristics? Um, because again, this is not a full-on list, but these are just things that I mentioning because it's very true of my best friend my wife well everybody is my best friend so i don't really have like a description for all my friends <laughs> like what but what makes a friend a good friend they accept you for who you are and what you do friend is someone who doesn't feel inferior to you and is a person who's comfortable telling you what their opinion is and trying to help you out even if you are uh, even if you are intelligent or smart because you're willing to listen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right. So then how can I be like the friend that I admire or desire to be? What are some of the things that I can do in order to be that really good friend? Like I see myself in a certain way and I see myself for my faults and I see myself for the truths that I have going on. But how do I improve my friendships? How do I improve myself as a better person? Understanding where your friend is coming from. Sometimes when a message uh, isn't returned back or an email isn't turned back or a phone call isn't received back, put yourself in your friend's shoes. Mm. What are the circumstances that your friend is going through? And through the um, emotions and or level of characteristics that you know about your friend, Pray and ask the Lord to show you, what do I need to do in this moment right now? Mm. For sure. And then sometimes a friend just needs you to come over. And if you know your friend that well, you're going to step into their home and say, hey, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Mm -hmm. Um, But like backing away from it and going, oh, my friend doesn't want to respond to me. They don't like me. And don't be like that. There, there's a reason why there, there's a missing message or a missed form of communication. And, and sometimes a, a friend just, they don't know how to be a friend. And your relationship and friendship has gone so well that it's like, oh, no, this is too good to be true. Therefore, I don't, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to do anything damaging to our relationship. So I'm walking away while it's good. And you're like, but I put all, we, we, we together are genuinely like each other's company and that's okay. Right. Like we can keep going forward. So, and then sometimes, you know, people have friends for, you, you never know who a friend is going to be like a true, true friend of one that you can um, confide in and, and they're with you along those, your life for forever. Yeah. I mean, those are very rare. But yet we do have acquaintances and friendships that can continue on if we want, if we so want to. Right. But the other person has to desire it as well. Yeah. If you want a friend to listen to you, listen to them. Mm-hmm. If you, anything you want, you desire in a friend, you should put into practice that in your people, your acquaintances, people you've been friends with will notice that and start being reciprocal towards you in that. So if you, if you want a friend to be a certain way, start acting like that way towards people and other people, and eventually you will have a friend that acts the same way towards you as you do towards them, because they'll learn and you'll grow from each other. Okay. So kind of the golden rule principle mm-hmm. uh, of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I wrote down a few things. Uh, they definitely will speak right into what Blair and Xavier have said so far. Uh, number one, serve the greatest friend who ever was and is, and that is Jesus. Submit your life unto him who is ultimate loyalty, ultimate listener, ultimate laugher with you, not at you. Uh, one who understands every emotion and every tension that you've gone through is Jesus himself. And not just accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior, but also accepting his helper, the Holy Spirit, into your heart and into your mind and into your life will really be a way that will transform friendships as you give him the ability to 
be a part of every part of your life? Can you stop Jesus from being a part of certain areas of your life? I think you can. Does he want to stop? be stopped from doing that? No, he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. The one who brings forth the limitations we have to recognize is ourselves. Number two, think before we speak or perform a regrettable action. Like it's really good to think things out first, especially in the heat of a moment whenever you and your really best friend are getting heated into an argument. If you'll stop and think for a second, you can very often stop the fire from spreading so large that it destroys your friendship. So think before you speak. Think before you perform a regrettable action. Third, freely forgive. This is a very hard one, but freely forgive. How many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, seven times, 70. Does that mean 490? Does that mean that I go get a piece of paper and I start writing down every single time somebody's done me wrong and I forgive them? And at 491 times, I'm able to say, ha, you've exceeded your limit. Now I no longer have to forgive you. No, Jesus is in that moment telling us that we need to freely forgive, not keep track of how many times our brother wrongs us, but instead forgive every time, not holding back. And fourthly, be willing to pay restitution for your wrongs. Now, this is even more unpopular, I think, than forgiving people. What is restitution? Restitution is, for example, say you are in a car accident and you damage the person's car. And yes, nowadays we have car insurance. And maybe I should just give an example of a time that it happened. I was driving in Missouri, and a knucklehead was driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, I know, it's a big shocker here in India that somebody would drive on the wrong side of the road. But he was driving on the wrong side of the road. I was on a curve, and as I came around this sharp hairpin curve and came back, all of a sudden there was a motorcycle right in front of me, and he smashed right into my car. Now. I wasn't going very fast because I was going up the mountain, but he was going extremely fast on his motorcycle on the way down. To make matters worse, he had his girlfriend on the back of his bike. Did mom and dad know that he had a girlfriend? No. Did mom and know, dad know that she had a boyfriend? No. So in that moment, the wrong that happened was that they smashed into my car. And at that moment, if I was an ugly person, I could have just ignored them and drove off. Or being a person who wants to be a good friend, who wants to be loyal, who wants to be Christ-like, I actually took him to the hospital in my car. I gave up a meeting that I was on my way to attend and called them and said, hey, there's been an accident and we're going to take care of the situation. You guys go on and do the meeting without me. And then I went to the hospital with those people. I even covered their bills so that that way they would be paid for. I did not say, give me your phone. I'm going to talk to your mom and dad, and I'm going to tell them what you've been doing. That is restitution. I went out of my way, above and beyond anything that I should have done, because the rules and the laws are there to say, that's not your fault. They were on the wrong side of the road. That's not your fault that they were trying to hide from their mom and dad. That's not your fault. But that's not the way Jesus ever acted. Jesus was friends with prostitutes and tax collectors money changers, liars. I mean, he was there in those moments that they were in their most uncomfortableness. And so how do I joyfully pay restitution when I'm doing the wrong? 
I was wronged in the story that I'm telling, but how do I pay restitution if I do the wrong? Is I go above and beyond even in those moments to make sure that I'm caring for my fellow man, my brothers and sisters, my family, my friends. And if I've wronged them, I want to do anything and everything I can in order to settle the problem and then continue to do more for them. Jesus described it this way. He said, if a Roman soldier asks you to go with them one mile, at the end of that mile, tell them, I'll go with you for two. If a man asks you for your shirt, give them your jacket and your shirt both. So we do above and beyond. That's what makes us into good friends. And it sounds absolutely ridiculously crazy today in the 21st century that anybody would do something like that. In fact, we're more looked at as morons or idiots or what gullible people, because can you believe they went above and beyond to help somebody out? How stupid are they? That's the way the world looks at us. But remember, we've talked so often in the past weeks, the world's not going to understand us. And in fact, it's going to hate us for loving Jesus and for loving our brothers and sisters. Number five, learn. So I say the five things that I mentioned above and beyond what Xavier and Blair have mentioned so far is serve Jesus, think before you speak, forgive freely, joyfully pay restitution, and fifth, learn. Learn from your mistakes. Don't beat yourself up. Just learn from them and go forward. Don't sit there and go, oh my goodness, I made this mistake. And then keep bringing it up every week for the rest of your life that you had made that one mistake. That's beating yourself up. That's not learning from the situation. That's just, what is that? That's like self-mutilation, really. Isn't there a word for that? There's like, like constantly trying to hurt yourself or put yourself down. Don't do that. Talk things out with God. Talk things out with trusted friends. Talk things out with your spouse. Or maybe talk things out with your plant and or pet. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? Absolutely. Did God put plants on this earth to take in carbon dioxide and put out oxygen for a reason? I think so. Talking to plants, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's something that is very natural. Talk to your pet. When we had a dog, did you guys ever pet it and just talk to it? Yeah. And just tell it everything like, oh, Desi May, mm -hmm. I had a hard day today. Yeah. And how did that make you feel? It makes you feel better to talk it out. Definitely. I liked it because Desi May gave me rocks to throw at the stray dogs. <laughs> it's like, oh, Desi May, look, here comes that cat. And she'd reach down on our walk and she'd bite that little rock in her mouth. And she turned, she looked at me and I held out my palm and she dropped it right in. And she's just like, <laughs> like yeah. that. And I was like, she knew I was going to throw it at those dogs. Except for that one time whenever she tried to give you a big boulder. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. like the size of a potato. And like, she was just like dragging it, like, it with her everywhere. That's too big of a rock. That's way too big. I can't throw that at those dogs. Yeah. <laughs> just need a pebble. Just need a pebble, Desi. Come on. Yeah, she was really cute. She was an overachiever. Dog. Yeah, she, 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 wanted she was like, you don't need those small rocks. You need this big one. Right it was like she could sense what was coming. Yeah. And I think with all my heart that God provided her in our lives in order to do those kinds of things. And if you have a pet, I think he provides those pets and animals out there for us to do. There was a man in the 13th century. And so I, yes, I realize I'm talking 800 years ago. His name was Francis of Assisi. 
And he is famous for not just loving people, but he also loved animals and he loved plants and he loved the environment. What God had create, has created for us to enjoy, Francis taught us within Christianity that it's important for us to care for the animals and for the earth in a way that had not really been done up until that time. And yes, it's continued on into the 21st century, 800 years later, we still remember some of the things he did. And one of them was, he thought it was really important to preach, but he didn't think it was just important to preach about Jesus to people. He preached to everything. So he would walk out in the woods and he would preach to the trees. And there was a very famous sermon that you can look it up in Google that he preached to the birds. It's called the Sermon to the Birds. And he thought it was important that the birds heard about the creator of heaven and earth. So he preached to the birds. And in fact, there's even a Hollywood movie. It's not a very good adaptation of what Francis's life is, but it does show this one scene where Francis is walking from where he lives into the Middle East, and he's going to see the Sultan, the guy that's over all of the Muslims at that time in the Middle East. And as he's walking in, they send two cheetahs out to try and attack Francis and to kill him because they see this guy walking towards them and they're like, they don't know if he's a friend or a foe. And as Francis is walking, all of a sudden the cheetahs just walk up to him and he just pets them and they are start playing around like they're dogs. And he walks with them all the way into the tent of the, of the king there. And as he's talking with the sultan, the sultan makes a remark of, if all Christians were like you, there would not be a Muslim in the world. But unfortunately... So many Christians are always fighting, but even you love the animals and the creation of the earth. That is, that is so impressive to me to think that that is the kind of impact, that is the kind of transformation that we can see happen in people's lives if we would just put our rights to the side, if we would stop relying on man's law and instead look to Christ for our everything and also honor his creation. The second half of what I notice in the passage of scripture of what we've read today is Jesus says these words in uh, John chapter 18, verse 11. He says, so Jesus said to Peter, and this is after he's cut Malchus's ear off, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? That is such an important portion of scripture for us to recognize because Jesus is saying in this moment, shall I not take the cup that the father has given to me? He's saying, I realize that I don't have to do this. I realize that there are shortcuts that I can take and there are ways that I can go around what God has set before me because after all, I am God and I don't have to be subjected to this proverbial cup that God has put before me and said, I can do things another way. And yet he doesn't. And it has me reflecting over the moments of my life that I dread the hardships of life. I, I don't like to be in pain. I've disliked every single time I was injured. It's not fun to be injured. It's not fun to go to the hospital. It's not fun to be sick and to battle cancer. It's not fun to have a heart attack. And easily, if it was possible to be avoided or to have a shortcut, I would much rather have had some of those times. However, if I submit myself to God, then that means I do submit myself to some hardships, maybe even some bad friends, maybe some people who even want to destroy or hurt me. And so one, it made me reflect on one of the most memorable sermons I have ever heard to this date. It was about 17, 18 years ago by a man named Eddie Turner, Pastor Eddie Turner. 
he uh, lives in Tennessee, and it was on the problem of shortcuts. And he said, this is what shortcuts do. Shortcuts rob you of learning and knowledge. Shortcuts don't keep you moving and exercising because they happen so quickly. So when a big problem comes along, you don't have the strength in order to handle that big problem. He also said shortcuts uh, may set, your set you onto your destination at the wrong time, bringing you to miss out on the reason for taking the journey in the first place. This is the problem with shortcuts. I also think about cheats or cribs or lying and, and deceit. They all go hand in hand. If you cheat, you're taking something that isn't yours to accomplish something that you will never be able to replicate. And the punishment is eternal guilt. That's what cheating does. Another way that we do shortcuts is we misrepresent. If you misrepresent a product in order to make a sale, you're only going to make that sale one time. Any business guys out there, you know for a fact, if you misrepresent your company in order to make a sale, you may have made the sale, but you've lost a, a lifelong customer. So why do we misrepresent things for such short-term gain? Because we don't think futuristically sometimes. If we misrepresent our family, not only are the people that we are misrepresenting our family to hurt, but our family is hurt as well. And so are we in the process. And so therefore, every single person that we come in contact with is hurt as a result of us misrepresenting our family. If we misrepresent Jesus, souls are eternally affected. So with Jesus saying, I accept the rigorous, pain-laden journey of going on to a cross to forgive all of mankind and even all of creation of the sin that has so infected this world. He's saying, I am willing to take on the cup of the Father. And if we, like Jesus, will do the same thing, we will discover more about who God made us to be, sometimes beyond what we even know or realize about ourselves. I remember the heart attack that I had a couple of years ago, and I was sitting in the hospital thinking, why in the world am I in the hospital? Why did I have a cardiac arrest scenario that I, that I would be put into this situation? And then a couple of weeks later, because we were in that hospital, we were later in another city in Punjab, where a family came up to us and said, oh my goodness, you were in the hospital, and we had a chance to share Christ with them and pray for their sick loved one that was actually in the bed right next to me. So did I have the heart attack because that person needed us to pray for them and because they needed to hear about Jesus? Or was the heart attack a punishment for me because of some wrongdoing that I did? You see, God took something that is painful and turn it into something that glorifies him because on the streets of another city, we had the opportunity to share who Jesus is and pray for somebody who was sick and see them recover. God's bigger than us. He wants to see so much more happen within the children and creation that he has on this earth. If we will accept the cup that God gives us that could be pain-laden and rigorous, we'll learn lessons that are not taught in books and you could never learn in a classroom, and I could never teach you on a podcast. Respect will be earned if you don't fabricate your stories.
right? Cheating is it's a lie, so you're fabricating your story. But if you actually go through the hardship, people will respect you in a way that you would have never had before. We have a passage of scripture here, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's pretty harsh words coming from a man of God right there. But it's very true. If anybody tells you that this life is easy and things will be simple, that is not the truth. That is not the gospel. We are recipients of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness because of the hard road that Jesus took. And as his brother, friend, son of God, I am also called to the same types of difficulties in my journey. Yes, I realize my journey is different than Jesus's. I realize I am not, the, I am not God incarnate. I am uniquely created. And as I'm uniquely created, my hardships are uniquely mine. And yet God is still big enough to give me aid, help, and to be right there with me through every problem. As a son of God, this world will have its trouble, but the good news is we are sons of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of it, it is own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you ever heard of Philippians 4.13? Mm -hmm. What does it say? For I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Did you know that it goes on from there? Yes. It's not the end of the chapter or the end of the verse, but it goes on and it says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. The amazing thing here is, is that we share in each other's hardships and troubles. And when we don't take shortcuts and we walk together, not just with God the Father, not just with Christ the Son, not just with the Holy Spirit, our triune God, but when we walk with, we walk with each other through hardships. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Thank you so much for walking with me when I had trouble, when I had affliction, when I had problems. In other words, I didn't do it alone. I didn't just do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I didn't do, just do all things by myself. I got to do it with others. And lastly, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So today we've discussed the reality that you're going to have or we're going to have friends who will deny us, betray us, or be cowards with us. We even discussed the fact that we ourselves can be guilty of these same three attributes of denial, betrayal, and cowardice. We talked about how we can overcome that through Christ as our Lord and Savior, but also the fact that we need to think before we speak, that we need to freely forgive, that uh, as we walk through each and every day of our life, we joyfully pay restitution and we learn. We learn from our mistakes. We also discovered that shortcuts don't do us any good. 
but instead submitting to God's will, to his purpose, and to fulfill his testimony on this earth is going to strengthen us for the day that is ahead. And what greater joy can we have in that day ahead than to be called sons of God? Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day, and that we all will praise the Lord in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.